podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got another summer special for you. Um, pretty exciting times. This is all about, you know, when you've got a little bit of spare time in the summer and want to enrich your mind from the world of work. Yeah, I've got visions. <laughs> Sorry. I've got literal <laughs> visions of uh, our listeners on their sun lounger in their garden yeah, 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 or on yeah, yeah, the yeah. beach in the Mediterranean or <laughs> maybe, maybe they're on a... sipping a tasty drink. I don't yeah, know. or they may be on their like... They might be... Southern Hemisphere, they might be on their winter Oh, break, they might right? be. They might be. They might be skiing in New Zealand. Oh, Please Chile. don't listen to us while skiing. No, that wouldn't maybe really go on, well. No, maybe not even on the chairlift. Don't just just somewhere yeah, safe. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what are we chatting about today? So uh, today we've got a really exciting. I think something we both look really look forward to. Um, we came across an organisation called the Maturity Institute. Um, they are interested in what a mature organisation looks like and how a mature organisation can think about value a little bit differently. Um, and lots of really, really interesting uh, coming together of ideas, academic research and uh, practitioners. Uh, and Stuart Willard, who is at the Maturity Institute, uh, was kind enough to give us some of his time, which we jumped at and uh, asked him to sort of take us through what is a mature organisation? What, what, what do they mean when they say a different type of value and looking at value differently? Yeah, so it's just a bit of an introduction and, and it leads into the world of things like uh, responsible capitalism. It questions some of the, I guess, orthodoxy of thinking around the way that organisations structure themselves and to some extent the purpose of organisations. It starts to consider ideas um, around responsibility, social impact, uh, externalities of business. So those are the sort of unintended consequences you have on um, you know entities and individuals outside of your organisation, and and how organisations often benefit from being socially responsible and focusing on this uh, concept of creating value that that thinks about the wider implications of what they do. So, I think I think it's a really great listen if you uh, work in an organisation where you are trying to make the case that investing in Uh, the development of people investing in the concept of uh, the wider value of the organization beyond just what their immediate output is then I think it's a list it's a great lesson because it it introduces you to some of the concepts and some of the ideas that uh, the Maturity Institute is beginning to develop and beginning to evidence they have a great set of evidence yeah it's really an academic type of approach to a lot of yeah absolutely and they've gone into organizations and they've begun to identify what a mature organization looks like and the kind of decisions and the kind of investments that these people are making uh, in these organisations to create a, a much wider understanding of what a value value is in an organisation. Yeah, really interesting, and I'm sure that we'll you know we'll follow up this conversation with other similar conversations. There are other organisations um, looking at responsible business and sustainability and and a lot of this. So I think in the future we'll open up the conversations to uh, more people as well. Yeah. So as always, you can uh, tell us what you think on Twitter at the Wow Podcast. Uh, you can also come say hi on other social media uh, or you can email us at jj at the wildpodcast.org um, but for now I'll probably hand you straight over to the conversation with Stuart and, and his discussion about the Maturity Institute and their work. Okay so here we are at the main part of this episode. Um, as we said in the intro we're going to be focusing on the Maturity Institute. We've got a great guest today. We've got Stuart Willard who runs the Maturity Institute. Um, and we're going to be exploring a little bit what organizational maturity means, 
what it's like to work in a mature organization, some ideas around systemic thinking and value and things like that. Um, but before we get into it, why don't we have an introduction to Stuart? That would be great. Stuart, do you want to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Th thanks, James. Th thanks, Jane. Um, so my background is, is fairly mixed. Um, I originally started my life in <coughs> what um, uh, was an accounting firm called R. Anderson, which um, some of your listeners will remember no longer, uh, well, no, no longer exists. Um, and um, I spent nearly 10 years uh, Arthur Anderson and, and uh, you know, I guess my two uh, abiding uh, le uh, sort of the lessons that still stay with me, which inform me today is, is, is how a well-run organization can still fail to get uh, the full value of the, uh, the people that work within it, um, but also how fragile organizations are and, and how the actions and behavior of people can, can bring down organizations very quickly. And those lessons are uh, still, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of those things as we go along, I think. But uh, since, since I left Arthur Anderson, I went traveling for a while. I, I ran my own uh, consultancy business with a former colleague. Uh, I went to work for a client called E-Trade Financial, which was uh, a US headquartered retail and institutional brokerage business. Um, so I got to know the financial services a little bit more. Um, and uh, from there, I went into academia. I spent seven years uh, working with King's College and a bunch of other universities around the world, trying to connect organizations and uh, the kind of senior management with evidence, really, uh, research evidence around how to manage their organizations better on the, on the basis that evidence is, is, you know, around how particularly people matter to organizations in value of returns evidence is, is poorly used and, and 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 so a focus for me was to bring sort of global research base to, to outside organizations um, and that was a very you know interesting exciting time that led me to go and join forces with a group of people that I met through through my work at King's and um, <clears throat> we still we, we, we came to the sort of we came together really uh, from from a basis of the most organizations who realize anywhere kind of value they could do from all the people that touch their organization whether you were whether you were part of the leadership team whether you full-time employee uh, part of providing outsourcing services or a supplier uh, and even in a wider context you know organizations uh, in the main particularly mid to large size organizations fail to understand how to uh, realize the full potential value of all the people that, that, that touch them uh, and on the flip side, they, you know, they, they fail to understand the, the, the real risk that people bring to, to their organizations. And so we created the Maturity Institute out of that kind of founding sense of purpose. Um, and our work since then has been to distill, you know, you know what is a mature organization and, and, and how do you generate the full potential value of all the people that touch your organization? What, what does that look and feel like and, and ultimately that now talks directly into what a responsible business is um, and we'll talk a little bit more I think about uh, about that but we, we, we decided to set up an institute because we yeah we, we felt that the subject matter of the organizational health if you like is never has never been properly professional in the same way that the medical profession professionalized human health in the mid 19th century today we, we 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 have not professionalized how we diagnose if you like and treat uh, organizational health or what, what what a healthy organization looks like and 
And, and that's something which has been largely missing. And we, we rely on non-evidence-based quackery and snake oil salespeople <laughs> um, to, to, to a great extent. Well, that's really interesting. So there's a lot of great stuff in that background. I love the, um, the sort of personal journey starting at Arthur Anderson and then, I guess, going through the experience of the collapse of that. And, Something and, and feeling Ron. similar there, James, well, by any chance. I mean, maybe. I mean, my organization haven't actually been, but, but I can feel that um, feel that connection with having worked in a place where, where sometimes things happen that you're not so sure about, and the FS world as well. And, and we talk a lot about evidence. Um, you know, more coming out of the organ organizational psychology side of things than maybe the management side of things. But we're very much of the view that, um, you know, quackery and snake oil is what a lot of people seem to want. And a lot of people want to sell that stuff. To them. So it's really interesting to think about uh, organizational management from that other perspective as well. Um, and I think the responsible business piece is, is really pretty cool as well. Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of topics there that are uh, people that listen to us uh, are us will be interesting so we'll probably get started. James do you want to kick us off with? Uh... Yeah I've got, I've got one question. I know that one of the things that sort of overrides a lot of your thinking is this concept of um, sort of systemic thinking um, and, and with that and, and with the fact that organizations and individuals are part of larger systems that there are maybe some different views on what value really is. Could you maybe do a, a little bit of scene setting? The first lesson if you like the first thing we talk about around a mature organization is how how they define and manage value and, and it's such an important point and we could spend hours on the subject we tend to spend hours on the subject and and it's, it's quite simple in 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 some ways and, and and really if you think about any organization so if your listeners think about their own organization uh, and and think about what we would call intrinsic values that's not what the price someone would pay if they acquired the organization it's What's the, what's the underlying intrinsic worth of this organization? And you can kind of boil it down into, into fairly sort of constituent parts. So for any organization, you can add value in, in one of four ways. You can make more stuff, you can produce more stuff, whether it's a product or service, so you can create higher levels of output. You can generate more money. Uh, you can, you can charge, you know, maybe you can charge higher prices or you can sell more stuff and you generate more revenue. So that's our second Second point, uh, there's a cost of doing business, there's a cost of running an organization, that's the third aspect of value. And, and, and the final part, which is the real, really important part really, is, is the quality of, of what you produce. So the, the quality of, of, of products, or the quality of service, and the quality of your own organization. So in value terms, there are really four uh, distinct, uh, but interrelated variables, output cost, revenue, and quality and that's the same for any organization in the world whether you're a hospital a bank a football team uh, or, or, or whoever and, and that's the first start to think about value as a system so all these things are linked um, and uh, you know what what we're interested in the, what we've been interested in the main is how people link to the creation or the destruction of value in, in those in, in those four terms if you like um, but before I move, move on, there's one, there's one uh, overriding thing around value, which is increasingly important in today's world. And, and, and the intrinsic and even the, ex, or the external value of organizations. Uh, and, and that's the, the impact and, and the potential harm that an organization does in either human or environmental terms. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can generate more output. We can reduce 
cost, we can increase revenue, um, and, and we, we try and improve quality. But we've also got to be aware of our impact on the outside world, and it's become increasingly unacceptable for organisations to do harm. And, and, and increasingly, there is a link, you know, there are strong links between those organisations that do more harm uh, and, and actually... The, the, the impact on their own value or the, the own destruction of their value. And there, and there, and there are many, many, many examples of, of where, where negative externalities or harm that's being done by organizations is increasingly affecting their, either their market value or their bottom line. Um, and so, you know, that's a, very, that's a very simple run through of what value means and, and, and construct and, and how it becomes a system. So, you know, very simply, you know, we see time and again, and if you, you know, here we are at the end of April, you open the page of the Financial Times, who do we see on the front? We see Barclays Bank, and the CEO is talking about taking cost out of the business. Um, now, you know, the, the question in that sense is, in the business, what's the impact on the organization in terms of customer, client service, um, and, and, and other, you know, impacts of when you take people out of the business, make redundancies, reduce pay, or and reduce cost. What are the what's the impact in a, in in a, in a, in, a, in a value? In, and and what you what you see time and again is that you know CEOs uh, drive one facet of value, one one element of that value equation or that value system, uh, without really understanding the implications on the other aspects. And and at some point that that will come back to 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 haunt them or, or cause damage down the line, or even could be more immediate than that. Um, and so a mature organization understands that value is this uh, system which they need to manage and balance and, 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 and realize the, 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 the value as a whole, you know, constantly and, and over time. Um, and as soon as you start to focus on, you know, one factor to the detriment of uh, uh, well, one factor, yeah, w without recourse or looking at the other factors, then you start to see, so you start to see stuff happen. So, you know, Volkswagen were, became obsessed around output. They wanted to overtake Toyota, um, become the number one car manufacturer in the world. The intense pressure to drive output meant that the quality of their cars was compromised. Uh, and there's a direct line you can draw between that obsessive strategy and someone designing a cheating system. Uh, you know, at some you know somewhere in their organisation, which meant that their cars could still be sold in the US. So, so that's value, and also so you start to see the interconnectedness and the systemic application of it, if you like. That's really helpful. It's it was, yeah, it's also really interesting. It relates. We we did an episode a while back about goal setting, and a little bit about Enron and the experiences of how goal setting overtook the organisation, uh, so that they effectively lost sight of that long term plan of how much damage they could be doing to that organization is that is that a, do you think that plays a part in it that kind of short-termism yeah absolutely and I, and I think that you know we the, the short-termism is, is a reflection of how financial value has overtaken our wider sense of what true underlying intrinsic value should you know is and ought to be so so, you know, the world is now built around a paradigm where financial value, the management of revenue and cost in all components that I sort of set out, have become uh, primary drivers of, of most businesses, particularly listed companies who have, you know, shareholders and also the wider business system, which is, 
you know, driving short-term, short-term goals, as, as you've said, Jane. Um, you know, short-term goals being hit your quarterly numbers, hit your bonus targets, <laughs> hit your sales targets, hit your cost targets. And, and, you know, as soon as you create target setting in a short-term, narrow, narrowly formed or framed reference for value, you can expect, uh, you know, poor outcomes you know we've seen and it can and that can mean life and death so if you look at if you look at the national health system and you look at the uh, nhs trust you know some of the targets of getting people out of a and e had a direct impact on on people dying um, and so this isn't just about profit and loss it's about life and death for, for, for certain types of organizations and you know so so i think what we've what we've dress that up as is short-term versus long-term. And, and in our world, what, what we're saying is, if you see value in how we've defined it, you do away with this dichotomy of short-term and long-term. And, and actually, if you manage value, then you don't need to, you, you, you don't get down this road of, of what's short-term, what's long-term, because every decision has an impact on value. And as once you understand your decision-making in value terms, then it becomes a much uh, healthier decision it should become a healthy decision because you should be looking at the whole value system yeah I really like the interconnected points that you have there between you know output revenue cost quality and, and I like the externalities piece of it as well the positive externalities and negative externalities I think it's a really interesting framework through which to view um, what organizations do and the impact organizations have and, and it's interesting that that you talk about value destruction in some organizations and presumably there are examples of value um, you know, large value creation by focusing on things like societal impact as well. Um, what I'd like to, to touch on now, though, and, and ask about is, you know, what, what do these organizations that are mature and that do focus on value have in common? Have they got any common traits? I guess um, you, you talked earlier about research. What is it that these organizations do that sets them apart? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question because, you know, it's... Um you know, often you, you hold up an organization and, and, and often the assumption is, uh, you know, what, what they do isn't rep, re, you know, replicable to or, or comparable to others in different markets and in different contexts. And, you know, the, the underlying aim of what we've done at, at the Maturity Institute is to say, well, you know, is there, are, are there comparative things? What does a mature organization look like? What are the common factors? And so, so we've identified uh, a, a number of, of key factors. Um, uh, we originally looked at what we call our 10 pillars, which now inform our sort of uh, 30 question plus diagnostic, which is, is, is a bigger set of sort of factors, if you like. But, you know, I'll talk to some of those. So, so I mean, one of the things that we, we looked at originally was, was uh, hold on, you know, you know, the very best organizations seem to have a purpose, which is actually about serving society, serving local communities, serving customers. Um, and you know, that's, that's, you know, in some, some, some parts of the world, in some places, you know, some analysts and also that's anathema, it's all about shareholders, isn't it? It's all about providing value to shareholders. Yeah, uh, and that's a Milford Friedman argument, which is you serve shareholders and you serve society. And, and what we, uh, and, and what we're finding, what our evidence tells us is that that's just simply not true, is that the very best organizations, a common fundamental trait is that their purpose, their underlying reason for being is to serve society. And, 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 and so the most mature organizations make that absolutely explicit. 
um, you know, organizations like Toyota or Handelsberg uh, Banken or uh, Spanish, a, re a recent company we looked at was a family-owned business called Mercadona in, in Spain, which is, uh, which is uh, uh, the largest Spanish uh, supermarket. Uh, and now has a presence in Portugal, um, but they're all about serving serving society, um, and you know so that that, that that's a that's a common uh, a common first sort of port of, port of call if you like. The, the, the second most fundamental thing is that all those organisations, most mature organisations, understand that it's people that drive long term uh, the, the long term health and success of their organisation, um, and so you know the the people that work within those organizations and with them are absolutely fundamental to, 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 to value creation. And that's a very, very important distinction between most organizations who we've assessed and rated, again, particularly the, the mid to large size organizations, who are still primarily managing their people as a, as a source of cost. Uh, and I've, you know, we've talked about that in, 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 the, in the value definition. So, so, you know, social purpose, understanding that it's, people that make the difference to value over the very long term. It's people that are fundamental to sustainable success. Um, but beyond that, then you know, it comes into these, this systemic thing, the systems piece, which you talked about, is how do we build the management systems? What kind of systems do we need to put in place to realize the value potential uh, of the people that, that work with us, that work you know, uh, our colleagues, but our suppliers uh, and, and our wider customers uh, and indeed anybody else that touches our organization. How do we build? What sort of systems do we need to leverage that value? And there, you know, so, you know, one of the most important systems is a learning system. So, you know, how do we acquire knowledge? How do we use that knowledge and how do we disseminate it in a way that creates value for us? Um, and the most mature organizations, one of the distinctive features is that everybody matters in terms of learning everybody matters to knowledge uh, uh you know creation to ideas to innovation uh, and when you couple that with building a culture of ne never-ending improvement so everybody matters to the organization everybody's here to contribute everybody should be here to improve the organization in whatever they do on a day-to-day -day basis you start to build a picture of uh, a very high performing organization that has a social purpose at its heart. And I guess that's, there's sort of the fundamental, really sort of underlying real drivers of, 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 of value in these organizations. The focus on people is really, really powerful in there. And, and that combines with, you know, the need or the desire to continually learn and develop and to improve, um, as well as having that systemic view and the overall understanding of, of the different pillars of value that you spoke about. Um, what do these organizations feel like? I mean, I guess if you were, in an organization, what kind of things would leaders do? How would, how would they uh, manifest, I guess, in a mature organization? Have you got thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I, I think there's a, it's interesting because when you think of purpose-driven organizations, you often, you attribute that with nice organizations. <laughs> um, um, that's not to say that these places aren't good places to work. I, the first thing I would say is that working in a mature organization that has those kind of characteristics is tough. It's a hard place to work. You know, there's no, there's no let up. Um, you know, you're expected to make a contribution, but equally, you should be feel you should expect to be treated fairly. You should feel to be, you should expect to be treated with respect. Um, and so, so while they could be quite challenging places to work, 
you should come away from the work or, you know, your, your, your work on a day-to-day basis feeling you, 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 you have made a contribution. There's some, and ultimately that contribution has some meaning. So, so it has some purpose. You're not there just to line the pockets of the CEO or a share or, or, or deliver returns to shareholders. You're making a difference to the people that interact with your organization, to the wider community, to wider society. And I think that's a very, very powerful, you know, motivating factor. So, so it's, it's not about nice organizations. These are high performing organizations and, and, all, and, and people shouldn't feel that it's easy. Uh, but equally, you know, there's, there's the relationship you have with them should be a very strong and compelling one. And you should feel that, 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 it's a, that these places are, that you should feel proud. I mean, one of the things of Mercadona, which was really interesting, is that their underlying purpose is to make Spain, and indeed now Portugal, proud of them as an organisation, which I think is an interesting kind of comment. Uh, and, 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 and the people that interact with that organization seem to certainly feel proud and happy to, to recommend them. So, so you know, you know I, I think you, you, you see that in, in, in highly mature organizations. They, they, it is, is not rhetoric, it's not something which they're told, it's something they genuinely feel, and it's an authentic sense of purpose, it's an authentic sense of meaningful work, it's an authentic sense of I'm doing stuff that matters, whether that's, you know, you're selling stuff to consumers through a supermarket, providing banking services, making cars, or whatever, you're having a positive social impact. And I think that's a very important point. Yeah. And, and do you see that like translating into engagement scores or other metrics around employees? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, well, you know, we, we, I showed an early slide back in 2014 to a group of, uh, to the CFA in London, Chartered Financial uh, Analysts. Um, and I said, hey, look, you know, a mature organization is, is a good company. You know, a mature organization is, is uh, what we would expect to be defined as a responsible business. And, you know, there's, a, there, there's no reason why uh, we shouldn't be addressing difficult challenges which we're facing in the world today um, in a responsible manner. And for these organizations not to be making money, that's not a mute, they're not mutually exclusive. So issues of diversity, inequality, um, sustainability, environmental harm, uh, slavery, all these, all these huge social political issues, um, actually we would expect to dissipate and, and, and be, be resolved the more organisations become, the more mature organisations become. So, so you, know, you know, if you look at you know, the Toyotas and the Handles Bankings and the McDonald's of this world, you tend to find that they have good, better outcomes, but not just in financial terms, but in human and environmental terms. And, and then, you know, one of the really exciting things for us is we've just launched a, a, a research programme with, with the University of Cambridge, and that's exactly what they're finding with our own data set, is that mature companies, responsible businesses, who value people, who see value through people, actually create the very best outcomes. And, and, and that's, a, that's a difficult thing for some people to get their heads around because they always think there's a trade-off to be made between financial success and, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> you know realising the value of people and, and valuing people and, and also creating a, you know, a sustainable world. And, and, our, and our simple, simple message is that's, that's, that's not true. We can create this mutually inclusive value system which works for everyone. And do you see that coming up in like correlations between you know profitability and social impact? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I think that's the very 
I mean, that, that's really exciting. Um, so, you know, we built an evidence base over the last five or six years, which has looked to find quantitative and, and uh, qualitative evidence to show how mature organizations drive better financial uh, and market value outcomes. And that's been a, fo- that's, that's been a primary focus of, of, of our work because we've had to convince people that this, this stuff matters. It's not just a, an ethical thing, a nice thing to have, and it's not something which we think should be forced upon organizations. We're saying, look, this is in your interests. Yeah. You'll create a more valuable organization if you're a more mature organization. The, the work we've recently been doing uh, with, with Cambridge and, and, and building on some earlier academic work is that um, you know, we're not just seeing better profitability or return on equity or market value linkages. We're seeing associations with environmental performance um, and sustainability metrics and also some, some, uh, you know, some risk outcomes. So environmental, social and, and government sort of risk, risk outcomes. So linking, linking mat- maturity to you know, le- less fraud or more compliance with le- you know, legislation, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we're, we're starting to see this evidence come through that you know, truly responsible, mature organizations do generate these good outcomes for, for, for all their stakeholders. Um, and, and, that's, uh, and, and we need that evidence to convince people this is, this is a path to, to, to follow. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and when you get that evidence, who, who do you present that evidence to? I mean, who, who are you looking to, to influence through the information and, and the discoveries that you're making? Okay, I mean, so, so this talks to the whole system again. So, um, and, and, and so, you know, our, our work, so let, let me just keep it as simple as I can. So we, we're interested in convincing the investment community. Okay. So we want, we want fund managers and, and investment firms, pension, pension funds to understand these linkages because the more they allocate their own capital, their own funds towards companies that are either on a path towards greater maturity or, or are highly, highly mature organizations, they're sending very, very important signals to the market. that This is where their investment is going to be flowing. And so that's a signal to boards and CEOs uh, to, say, to, to say that this is the direction of travel and this is where you need to take your own organization. So, so that, that, you know, and we've seen, we've seen that play out in practice is that if, if an investment firm, pension fund sends out those kind of signals, it can make a very big and quick difference to how an organization behaves. Uh, but equally, we're interested in, in, in and, we, and we continue to work in, in-house, uh, generally on a confidential basis, um, but talking to senior execs, generally CEOs, COOs, and, and sometimes HR directors, um, and, and showing them uh, that these linkages are there and, and, and working them through our own sort of diagnostic to say, you know, where can you make improvements in your own organization to create higher levels of maturity? Because we would expect, you know, the organization to, to increase its value as a, as a consequence. And why, you know, why shouldn't they be interested in, in, in those outcomes? They absolutely should. You mentioned, um, sorry, Stuart, I'm just really interested. You mentioned boards in, in that last part and influencing <coughs> the governance structures. How, um, how important has that been? How, how have you been able to approach that? Because I know it's something that's been in the nonprofit sector all the time. Is our trustees somewhat uh, uh, not engaging with the evidence base that might be there and, and hanging on to their own beliefs? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think one of the problems is that, you know, Boards and senior executive teams are 
filled with people who have been trained in a certain way. You know, how, what, you know, if you go to business school and you get an MBA, if you've got an MBA in the last 30, 40 years, um, whether it's been explicitly said or not, you've been taught conventional economic and financial theory, which has underpinned your teaching, which is really about profit maximization, um, financial return and, and delivering uh, value to shareholders. Um, you know, business schools themselves are in a state, you know, they're, they're in an existential crisis right now because they won't, they don't like to admit it, um, but that's what they've been teaching. So you, so, and, and the world is saying that's no longer good enough because we need responsible businesses that serve all, you know, multiple stakeholders. Yeah. And so, you know, that we, we have a real problem at, at board and an executive level where, where, you know, people need to be re-educated and, it's difficult to find people who are open to that because they're so fixed in what they've been taught. And, and, and that's very uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable. Uh, equally, when you go into the investment world and, and you know, equity analysts have been trained you know, in, in how to analyze companies that, based upon conventional financial theory. And, and these theories are, have been seen to be uh, flawed, skewed, skewed away from 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 what what we need in you know in, in in today's world so so everywhere we look whether it's the accounting world the legal world uh, uh academia regulators boards c-suites the investment world everybody has been everybody's grown up and educated and in a systemic paradigm which is rooted in um, you know with the with the flawed underpinning um and and so you know the, the big message we have is we've got to move away from this we would say a, a shareholder value paradigm, and, and that goes for not-for-profits and family-owned firms as well as traditional share, you know, the shareholder value paradigm, which is a focus on financial value, to one where how do we build businesses which serve you know all stakeholders at the same time and can generate all those good outcomes which which, which I mentioned, and and that, you know that's a, that, that's a challenging place to be. So. So a lot of our work is is work, working with younger generations, so people who are, you know are, are through business schools, you know, in their in their hate to put an age bracket on it, but you know, twenties, early thirty somethings, who who you know are generally more open to new ideas, see the issues of the world around them, and say we need to make a difference, and 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 need a need a model and a system to to, to hang, hang their efforts around, if you like. So then I guess, I guess the challenge is to our, the early careerists that we talk about quite a lot, open your eyes, listen for more than what you're being told, because there will be some business schools, some, some organisations, some academic institutions still hanging on to some of those ideas and say, look, you know, open your eyes to what else might, people might be researching, looking at, such that you can f form a better understanding of what value is, what it might mean in the longer term. Yes, absolutely, um, and 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 so you know, uh, you know, I'd say every single business school in the world, not just you know, uh, and and if you look at how even just business schools are trying to deal with the need to deliver, you know, um, courses and programs fit for a new purpose of of, of social impact, um, sustainability, etc. Um, you know, it's tended to be on a bolt bolt on fashion, just like a business bolt on corporate social responsibility, um, it, and and not saying, hold on, we need to fundamentally look at, um, you know, what's our purpose as a business school? What does a healthy organisation look like? And on what they, you know, what should we be teaching? Um, and and you know, that's a, you know, that that's a huge transition, and we can't just tear up what we've got because that, you know, that would that would be you know incredibly destructive. But how do we transition? 
away from 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 an old paradigm to a new paradigm and that that's that's uncomfortable that's uncomfortable and, and challenging but to you know to your point to to younger generations absolutely there there is a new emerging you know there's a whole school of people out there challenging conventional economics um saying we need to rethink economics because it's not fit for purpose we've got to rethink financial theory because it's not fit for purpose and as an institute the maturity institute we 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 deliberately multidisciplinary we don't believe that we can solve these complex problems and we in, unless we bring in all expertise to the table we can only we can only confront and deal with these problems on a whole system basis so we need you know not just economists and financial experts but people who are expert in the environment legal experts accounting experts um you know uh, you know you can you can, you know, regulatory experts you can go on marketing expertise uh, ev- everybody has a has a has a role to play um but but to your point jane you know, if you if you start with just a simple recharacterization of value, and then start to think about the interconnectedness of organisations, um, how organisations work, you know, as, as as a system themselves, how do they then connect into into the wider system? And we can start to to at least approach the issues in in a in, in a in a healthy in a healthy sort of way, if you like. Yeah, and I think with my organisational psychology hat on, I guess the bit that really interest strokes concern stroke excites me is is looking down the road where you start to see that conflict between those two schools of thought and how we can best support people trying to bring or bring about organizational change and influence the people above them um so i guess that leads on to my last question which would be you know if if you if we've got people listening who are in organizations who uh are listening to what you're saying and saying this this sounds true and this is important um what can they read? Where can they go? And also, what can they do within their own organisation to start an, a conversation about uh, the concept of value? Yeah, I mean, well, certainly comes to the Maturity Institute. Um, there's lots of um, free resources. And where lots would they, sorry, just, just on that, exactly uh, where would they find you? Online, is that best? Yeah, so online, online is the best. Uh, www.maturityinstitute.com is the easiest place to go. Um, for people who are interested we, in learning more, we, we can offer a free set of videos, which actually takes them through an introductory program we ran uh, just over a year ago with a group of people. Um, so, so that's a really you know, low cost, low risk way of getting to a, sort of get to grips with where we're coming from. Um, we have a new book called The Mature Corporation and Model Responsible Capitalism, which you can buy from any good bookstore. Um, the cheapest place to get it is from the publisher direct, Cambridge Scholars Publishing. Uh, you can use Corporation 20 as a discount code. So uh, that, that's the first learning point from a, from a maturity institute perspective. Um, but, you know, there's a growing... Uh, group of all you know institutions and people out there who are engaging in in, in this stuff i think i think one of the coming back to your channel what can you do to make a difference you know get to grips with value and start to understand it start to understand how people to connect to it. most people get it uh, you know and most people want to want to make a difference and, and but the, the more you the more uh the more you, you go up an organization or institution the more difficult the, 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 the challenge is as an institute we've worked really hard to, to support people it's very hard to be a lone voice in a team, a business unit, a division, uh, on the board, part of the C-suite. It's very difficult to be a lone voice. And, and the power of two or the power of three makes a huge, huge difference. We can, we can provide that support network. We can provide the evidence, and, we, and we're doing that. So, you know, a simple example, um, a senior investment analyst 
uh, is speaking at Women in Finance, uh, Women in Finance Awards and Summit in June. And uh, my colleague, Paul Kearns, is going to speak alongside her because she felt that the power of two makes a difference. And she wants to talk about our own measure of social, about societal value, which is called total stakeholder value, and saying we need to move away from shareholders to, to all stakeholders. And, and it's that power of two or three and the power of collaboration, the power of, of groups of people, uh, which, which are going to make the difference. And, and I would say, you know, if you're interested in trying to make a difference in your own organization, you can do it. We can give you the tools. We can give you the network. We can give you the evidence, um, and we can help you. Uh, we can help you with the, the support. Now, that's not to say it's going to be easy, and it may. And, and you know, sometimes that it, it doesn't work. Sometimes, sometimes you have to go and plow your own, uh, you know, furrow some, some, some somewhere else. And sometimes you realise it's not quite. It's not the place you want to be. Equally, sometimes organizations will be open to change. There will be people in the most immature organizations. In fact, you'll probably find networks of people uh, who do want to affect the same kind of change that you do. Um, and maybe you need to adopt kind of guerrilla tactics to try and achieve it. And, and the rise of called the entrepreneur, the intrapreneur is, is the idea of, of how people inside organizations who are difficult to change can make that change internally uh, in, in, in and, and so I think that's that's, that's an interesting uh, you know a way of affecting that kind of change brilliant thank you uh, James any last thoughts from you um, well I guess my last thought is I find the stuff that you're doing really interesting I find the whole topic fascinating I love the idea of total stakeholder value and the shift away from uh, shareholder profit maximization um, and and I guess from my side I, I think they're our conversations to be had about this that would last us hours. Um, and I'd love to come back to it at some point and really focus on, on some of those topics at, at some point. Uh, so I think this is a really interesting introduction and overview um, from my perspective. I guess the very last thing is, have, have you got any final thoughts, Stuart, before we wrap up? Anything else that you'd want to call out that you think is interesting to people? Oh, well, I mean, you know, as you say, there, there is so much that's of, 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 of interest to people, I think. I think, you know, I, I think what I would say right now is, um, you know, we... This is a, you know, we're in an incredibly challenging time. You know, we've got people on the streets of London and, and, and various other cities around the world calling for radical changes in behavior and, 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 and you know, making sacrifices, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I'm actually more optimistic. I, th I think the people, you know, right now who want to make a positive difference, um, you know, we can reshape our organizations. We can create, uh, you know, more responsible businesses and generate much better outcomes. Make our own work a lot more meaningful. I think that I think the most exciting thing is, um, you know, there's your voice will now be heard. You won't just be easily dismissed. Um, you know, the, the door is open. At least it's slightly ajar, and 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 we can push it. Wide, you know, we can push it. The more we push it open, the more we, the more change we can we can affect. And I, I think right now there's never been a better point in time to, to, to do that um, but there's, equally there's never been a more urgent time to do that so that would be my final thoughts. Yeah it, it really feels like that sort of tipping point uh, almost at a societal level um, to me either tipping or some sort of bifurcation but it feels like um, as you said people would be willing to listen to this stuff so great to call out some Okay well from my perspective um, all I'm full of it's got an entire head full of questions and <laughs> uh, I'm off to go back and read some of my fundamental economics textbooks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just for background, uh, you're calling out the uh, teaching of economics. I did economics at university and I've been telling James for the last three years that I'm 
deeply frustrated about the fact that uh, it, it, it fundamentally was based on nonsense. Um, <laughs> which is, which is where I'm, I'm not sure the academic way of think, describing it, but I certainly how it feels right now. The episode, that yeah. might be. Um, but yes, thank you for introducing the topic. And I say introducing because I think, it, as you say, Stuart, it's huge. And um, really, we just wanted to have you on to get people thinking and start talking about it. We would love to follow the work of the Maturity Institute a bit more because it, it aligns so closely to what we talk about in, in so many of the episodes that we record. Um, but for the moment, we just wanted to give people enough and a place to start their learning, which you've done beautifully. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and, and just Thank you very much. call out your, um, your website details again, just for people if they didn't catch from the first time. Yeah, so uh, maturityinstitute.com uh, is the place to go, or just Google Maturity Institute. Uh, it will take you there very quickly. Brilliant, and we'll um, we'll pop a link up on our notes as well when we send it out uh, when we send out our web map. Yep, great stuff. All right, well, it's been a pleasure chatting to you, Stuart, and I'm sure we'll chat again. Great. Great. So, welcome back. That was our conversation with Stuart. I think it was really interesting to chat about the Maturity Institute. I think some of the things that they're looking at are really interesting, and, and I'm, you know, I'm amazed by the scope of what they're trying to undertake and, and the, the range of things that they're addressing. Yeah, I think at this stage they're still really trying to understand what their area of influence is and how they might approach it because there's just so much and I think especially challenging this idea of the role of the shareholder and shareholder profit um it's it's a you know it's been a part of of our our model of western capitalism now for so long yeah I don't even know how you start to underpin it so I guess the bit around starting with the earlier careerists Mm -hmm. in their education yeah and attacking in that way um for me is is re- is completely different from what I expected him to say, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that whole piece about kind of reimagining the MBA, I know there's a lot of talk about that in different places at the minute, and I think that's that's really fascinating. Um, I think it's a hard thing to do. I think MBAs are, to some extent, linked to their ratings, which are linked to things like, you know, added salary for each graduate and things like that. So it's a hard thing to unwind. Um, yeah, and I, I guess coming at it from a non-profit organisation perspective, Nonprofits have spent, certainly in the UK, spent the last 20 years trying to model uh, what they consider professional organisations, um, corporate organisations. And I think the irony is that probably if they stripped that back and looked at their membership or their beneficiary base and started to think about value in that wider term as an organisation, as some of them do. And I I think, you know, I would would nod to the National Trust, which is a, a, a UK uh, organization that protects uh, English countryside and stuff and I think if you look at something like like them they've actually they understand that they 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 are here for ideally centuries yeah and I think um, that changes their understanding of value because they hold so many uh, utterly financially immeasurable assets yeah you know you yeah. can't measure the value of the white cliffs of Dover right yeah and, and that conversation that we had with Stuart about the fact that if you look at value through the pillars and concepts that they talk about, it kind of strips out the short-term, long-term nature of some of the decision-making because value is so um, intrinsically linked to future benefit and to societal impact and things like that, that that you have to act in different ways. Yeah, I guess the one the one question that's still on, well, there's loads. I've got loads of questions now about that. But I guess the, the challenge is how do we acknowledge that there will always be ac- uh, agents within the system who want a short-term stripping and aren't interested in the preservation of value at all. Yeah, yeah. They want extraction of value. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. Um, uh, uh, that that challenge is going to come, right? Yeah. Well, and different phrases exist like that. You know, you've got extractive versus productive and 
And, you know, there's, there are all these phrases out there for that type of split. And it's, it's true. Um, so quite how you institute the level of change that the Maturity Institute and actually some others are looking to. People like, um, you know, B Corporation look at sort of uh, aspects of business for good and sustainable, responsible business. There are other people doing similar things. Um, so I think it would be really worth us at some point trying to do a little bit more on this topic and, and talking about responsible business as a bigger area. Yeah, I do. I probably make a particular shout out. I know we always tell you how to engage with us. But if you have real passion and interest in the way uh, how to shape and help organisations think beyond short term profit or how to take them to see value differently or how to get them to think about their responsibilities differently, whatever it is in yeah. that space that you find interesting, get in touch, right? Email us jj at the wowpodcast.org. We're always interested to hear from people. We want to know if this kind of content is stuff that you're more interested in hearing yeah, about. Yeah, we're certainly interested in it. And I, yeah, I'm kind of fascinated. I mean, it's like watching, sometimes I feel like I'm watching a car crash and sometimes it's exciting and yeah. I don't know. But certainly every time I speak to people like Stuart, I am, I find myself questioning again and thinking and looking back and wondering how how we might reimagine the world as it yeah. works, particularly the corporate world. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, it, it is possible to get kind of lost and mired in some of this, but it is also potentially really optimistic as well. There really is an opportunity to change some of these things. And, and Stuart's point that maybe we're at kind of a right moment in time is helpful. Certainly some of the conversations I see in the news, on the media, on social media, lead me to believe that there is at least a portion of a population who are really interested in doing things differently, be that through the sustainability or environmental approaches to things, um, as well as some of the, the ethical drivers, as well as, as Stuart alluded to, some of the fact that, you know, profit and, and uh, financial returns sometimes accrue to more purpose-driven organisations as well. So we'll see where we end up. Anyway, we, we talked about how to get in touch. So we have um, Abu Wow Podcast on Twitter. Um, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed this special uh, and learning a little bit more about the Maturity Institute. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.